Um, it is really good to be here to open God's word, to sing and just worship with God's people. Um, as many of you know, I'm, I'm normally with the Missio congregation that is meeting in Casanova uh, even now as we're meeting. And just a quick word of encouragement there. Um, we're just, we're very glad and, and we are encouraged with how the Lord has gone ahead of us and how he's working in that community and give us, giving us presence in that community um, as people are just uh, coming to hear God's word preached and believing in, in his son, Jesus Christ, and believing in the gospel as was just presented. So uh, just please continue with us in prayer for the days to come. Um, and we are really looking forward to what the Lord's going to keep doing in Casanova. So I want to say a quick hello to the kids in the worship service. We have not forgotten you. You have the handout in front of you. So as we're going through the sermon today, you have some fill in the blanks that you can fill in. Um, and if you qu- pay close attention and you watch the TV screens, I believe they're going to pop, the answers are going to pop up there, so they're hard to miss. And if you get them all, you can preach the sermon to your parents on the way home when you're in the car. And I'm sure they'll love to listen to you preach the whole sermon again, right? Amen. Yeah, absolutely. Um, yes. So if you're uh, new with this today and you haven't been with this in the previous weeks, we are in the Gospel of Mark. We've been in the Gospel of Mark for a while, and uh, in previous weeks we've been looking at what Jesus has been teaching and doing as he has come into Jerusalem. In Mark chapter 11, he came into Jerusalem with with much fanfare. And in the subsequent chapters, we've seen his continual conflict that he comes into with the religious leadership that's present in Jerusalem. He's continued to teach that he is the promised Christ who the law and the prophets had promised would come, who the people of Israel were waiting for. He teached that all of it was fulfilled in him. And he continued to come into heightened conflict with those who had religious power in the city. Today, we're going to be looking at Mark chapter 14. Uh, We're going to be looking at verses 1 to 11. And I believe that, that God's word will speak to us as we do so. If you would pray with me before we, we read again God's word. Lord, you have said that every word of your scripture is living and active, that it's sharper than any two-edged sword, that it's piercing to the division of soul and spirit, of joints and of marrow, and discerning the thoughts and intentions of the heart. May it do so today as we hear what you would say to us in your word. Amen. We're going to read Mark chapter 14, verses 1 to 11. It was now two days before the Passover and the feast of unleavened bread, and the chief priests and the scribes were seeking how to arrest him by stealth and kill him. For they said, not during the feast, lest there be an uproar from the people. And while he was at Bethany in the house of Simon the leper, as he was reclining at table, a woman came with an alabaster flask of ointment of pure nard, very costly. And she broke the flask and poured it over his head, And there were some who said to themselves indignantly, why was the ointment wasted like that? For this ointment could have been sold for more than 300 denarii and given to the poor. And they scolded her. But Jesus said, leave her alone. Why do you trouble her? She has done a beautiful thing to me. For you always have the poor with you and whenever you want, you can do good for them, but you will not always have me. She has done what she could. She has anointed my body beforehand for burial. And truly, I say to you, wherever the gospel is proclaimed in the whole world, what she has done will be told in memory of her. 
Then Judas Iscariot, who was one of the twelve, went to the chief priest in order to betray him to them. And when they heard it, they were glad and promised to give him money, and he sought an opportunity to betray him. So the first thing that we notice is that Mark in this chapter is orienting us again to what is happening at the time frame in which these things are taking place. And he says that it is now two days before the Passover and the Feast of Unleavened Bread. And it's, it's significant that Jesus has come into Jerusalem at this time. The keeping of the, the Passover and the Feast of Unleavened Bread was commanded in Exodus chapter 12. And the purpose of, of this festival was to continually remind God's people that he had delivered them from Egyptian slavery. And during the Passover, we know that God commanded that, that, there, that a lamb without blemish be killed. And that the people of Israel were to kill this lamb and they were to place the blood of the lamb on the, their doorposts. So that whenever the Lord came through the city, that he would pass over those whose homes uh, he was going to destroy as he destroyed the, the firstborn of the Egyptians. So he passed over the people of Israel. And Jesus has come into Jerusalem during this time because he is foreshadowing what is about to take place. He's been preaching, he's been telling his disciples and those who are listening that he's going into Jerusalem to die. And he comes at this time because he wants people to see and to know that he is like a Passover lamb that's going to be killed so that God's people will be spared. So the next thing that we then see is that the chief priest and the scribes, they're, they're actively seeking to have Jesus killed. But they have to do so by stealth. And if you were to do a little word study on, on what that, that Greek word means, you would see that the, the word uh, might even be better translated as treachery or cunning. So they had no reason to arrest and to kill Jesus. So they have to do so by treachery, cunning, and stealth. Because he is like a lamb with no blemish. He knew no sin. And to arrest him in the sight of the people would have caused an uproar. So these men, they put into motion the events that will lead to Jesus' arrest and ultimately his death. But before we, we get there, Mark, the author, he, he records this very significant act that took place what we believe is sometime during the week leading up to the Passover. So the Gospels don't always work perfectly chronologically. Whenever we line this Gospel up with what we know from the other Gospels, we would say that it, this likely happened sometime earlier in the week. But what happens here, and the reason that Mark records it is because there's just, um, it's very significant and there's very much for us, God's people, to learn from this event. I'm going to read it for us one more time. Mark says, And while he was at Bethany in the house of Simon the leper, as he was reclining at table, a woman came with an alabaster flask of, flask of ointment of pure nard, very costly. And she broke the flask and poured it over his head. And there were some who said to themselves indignantly, Why was the ointment wasted like that? For this ointment could have been sold for more than 300 denarii and given to the poor. And they scolded her. And Jesus said, leave her alone. Why do you trouble her? She's done a beautiful thing to me. For you always have the poor with you. And whenever you want, you can do good for them. But you will not always have me. And she has done what she could. She, anoint, she has anointed my body beforehand for burial. 
And truly I say to you, wherever the gospel is proclaimed in the whole world, what she has done will be told in memory of her. So now Jesus, we see has left, he's left the main part of the city, he's left downtown Jerusalem, and he's walked to Bethany. Bethany is about two miles outside of Jerusalem, and while he's in Bethany, we read that he shares a meal, a meal with a, a man named Simon, who was a leper. And Again, if we were to look at the other Gospels to add just a little bit more color and a bit more depth to what's happening in the story here, we also would know and see that, that others who were present at this mill were Lazarus, who Jesus had raised from the dead, and then his, Lazarus's two sisters, Mary and Martha, and as well, some of the disciples of Jesus would be present. So Jesus is sharing a meal with his friends, his friends being two women, a leper, and a man who was once dead but now is alive again. And I just want to take a moment to pause that we don't miss the significance of the people that Jesus associated with. He told us that he came to heal the sick, not those who thought that they were well, but the sick. And while he's sharing this meal with his friends, a woman comes up and pours this alabaster flask flask of ointment of pure nard over his head. And so to us, that seems a strange act. What, what's going on here? Why would she do something that seems a bit weird to a modern mind, right? So the first thing that I notice here is that, that Mark doesn't record who this woman is, but in John's gospel, we know that this woman is Mary, the sister of Lazarus. Again, the Lazarus who Jesus raised from the dead. And in the Gospels, we, we meet Mary a few times. There's another occasion where Mary is sitting at the feet of Jesus while Jesus is teaching. And if you remember, she's sitting there listening to Jesus' teaching, but Martha, her sister, becomes upset and says, how can she sit there and listen to your teaching while I'm serving the meal? She needs to come and help me. And Jesus actually praises Mary for, for understanding the moment that what she has done is actually better in listening to his words. So it's this Mary who takes this flask of nard and pours it over his head. Now this oil of pure nard was, it was extracted from a root in the region. And as the text says, it was outrageously expensive. The disciples say it would have been worth 300 denarii. And if we were going to take that into today's equivalency, it would be like Mary taking a $40,000 bottle of oil or perfume and pouring it onto Jesus. $40,000. It's easy to see this is an extravagant act of worship. And Jesus actually describes what she's done as an anointing of his body for burial. And what does it mean that she anointed the body of Jesus? If we were to look in the Old Testament, we would see a few significant examples of anointing. We would read about Aaron, who was a priest before the Lord, and how in in a similar way, Moses poured oil over his head to anoint him as a priest. Likewise, Samuel the prophet, he anointed Saul as he became king, and later on, David, as David became king over the people of Israel. And so just from a few brief examples, we get this understanding that anointing someone in this way is a, is a special recognition of who they are, that God had selected them for a specific and a special purpose. 
It signified their holiness and that they were set apart by God to do something significant. So the first thing that we, that we come to understand about what Mary is doing as she pours this oil over Jesus' head is that she's expressing in a very deep way her faith in Jesus as the Christ, as God's promised Messiah, the one who would save the people of Israel and restore them, and not only Israel, but the nations. Mary is recognizing his holiness. And now, I'm sure that when she poured this oil over Jesus' head, that she probably did not understand in that moment that she was, in fact, anointing his body for burial. I think what she was doing was she was worshiping Jesus, expressing her love for him in the most extravagant way that she could. She poured out her most valuable possession. This was likely handed down to her from a family member, or if she saved up to buy this, she certainly spent a lot of money, but she pours her most valuable possession over Jesus as a recognition of who this man is. And because of that, I believe that we have so much to learn from her today. John Piper, in in commenting on this story, he says this, it is a beautiful thing when the worth of Jesus and the love of his followers match, when the value of his perfections and the intensity of our affections correspond. Kids, pay attention. I think this is one of the answers. I'm gonna repeat that last part one more time. When the value of his perfections and the intensity of our affections correspond. Now we know this about ourselves. We respond with affection to the things that we love. Now, those of you who know me know that Vicky and I, we moved to Syracuse in January. We haven't been here a very long time, but there's one thing I've learned quickly. That if you talk to a Syracusean, someone who grew up here about Syracuse basketball, you learn that that's very important to people in this place, right? You quickly get a sense of the value of this basketball team. In a similar way, we we love to talk about and express ourselves about the things that we value, the things that we love, the brands that we buy, the TV shows and the movies we watch. We quickly come in and say, hey, you need to watch this. You need to see that. The restaurants that we love to eat at, there are these great new tacos in town, you need to try them. Whenever we talk about things that we love, our affections, they come alive. And this is what's happening is this, this woman, Mary, is worshiping Jesus. She is expressing her great affection and her understanding of who Jesus is. I think about whenever my wife, Vicky, and I were dating and I was broke. (laughs) I was very broke but I still found a way to buy a ring. I saved up, and because my affections had so come alive, I was willing to spend just about anything on this ring so that this woman would marry me. And I don't know why, but she did. But uh, it's neither here nor there. Um, And so Mary is expressing her love of Jesus. And so... She considers him valuable. And so the question that that I would ask is, how much more valuable is Jesus than anything that we may find in this world? Mary is expressing her love and her affection for her king, and he was worthy of the most expensive display of worship she should give, or she could give. And it should make us ask, what is Jesus worthy of? 
Is he worthy of our worship? Is he worthy of our obedience? Is he worthy of being Lord over our money, our children, where we decide to live, the choices we're going to make in our careers? Is there anything that we could submit to his lordship of which he would not be worthy? Is there any expression of love that we could give to him that would not be fitting? And I I believe that Mary's example, as we read about her worship, is, is an example of the type of worship that is fitting for Jesus, the king of the universe, the creator of all things, the king of the lives of his people. So people of God, will we worship him in like manner? Not that we necessarily have to go and, and cut a check for all of our life savings and give it to the church or give it to God's kingdom. Now, we, I mean, we saw a few weeks ago that, that the poor widow who came into the temple and gave just two small coins that equaled a penny that Jesus actually, he praised her giving as, as being, in actuality, giving more than the rich people who were in the temple and who were making large gifts. So it's not really about the amount of money that that Mary or anyone is willing to to give to Jesus. It's really about a a life and a heart that submits to his kingship and to the worship of him as Lord and creator. A life that will worship him in all things. A life that seeks to do all things for his glory because we love him. Is he worthy? And there really should be no answer, but yes, he is worthy of a faithful life of worship. So my prayer today, as we look at this passage, is that we would all have an increased sense of how worthy Jesus is and how we might worship him more and more with every piece of our life and being. Father, we ask that you lead us, your people, to do so. So we see this this extravagant worship that Mary displays, but then in contrast, we we see the affections of the disciples and some who were in that room. The text actually says there were some in the room who said to themselves indignantly, why was this ointment wasted like that? For this ointment could have been sold for more than 300 denarii and given to the poor, and they scolded her. So there were some in that room, and again, if we were to to reference some of the other gospels, we would know that that one of those who's in that room who's angry over this this display is Judas. There are some there who think that this, this wasting of 300 denarii worth of oil was completely not worth it. This money could have been better served being given to the poor. So rather than seeing Jesus as worthy of this extravagant display of worship, they consider this a waste. And they actually, they try to stop Mary. They try to stop her from worshiping Jesus in that way. It's insane. The people in that room should above all have been the ones that were leading others to worship Jesus. But because they don't understand who he is, they don't yet see him as Messiah as king, as Lord. They don't 
understand him as being worthy of this kind of affection or any kind of affection that this woman could have given in worship of him. And so we get a glimpse, we see a picture of of what happens in the life of someone who does not rightly worship Jesus as Lord. And we know that one of them, again Judas, he's never going to get this right. As we'll see, he'll never see Jesus as worthy of worship. His failure to see Jesus for who he is is going to lead him to ruin and disaster. And so a quick word of warning for anyone today who does not yet love and worship Jesus as their Lord, I would say turn away and worship him and know him. So the disciples, some of those present in the room, they try to correct Mary. But Jesus says this, leave her alone. Why do you trouble her? She has done a beautiful thing to me. For you always have the poor with you, and whenever you want, you can do good for them. But you will not always have me. She has done what she could. She has anointed my body beforehand for burial. And truly I say to you, wherever the gospel is proclaimed in the whole world, what she has done will be told in memory of her. So we see Jesus come to the defense of this woman and he praises what she's done. He corrects the misunderstanding of those who are in the room and he makes this comment that the poor would always be with them and whenever the disciples wanted to, that they could go and do good for the poor. Now let us just take a moment to make sure we don't misunderstand what Jesus is saying here. He is not dismissing the poor or the need to care for them or do good for the poor. In fact, what Jesus says here comes out of Deuteronomy chapter 15, in which God, when he gave his law to his people, he said this, for there will never cease to be poor in the land. Therefore, I command you, you shall open wide your hand to your brother, to the needy and to the poor in your land. So in fact, rather than dismissing the need to care for the poor, he he affirms the disciples that they had great freedom to care for the poor whenever they wanted. And it's just, it's so important that we as God's people remember and recognize the consistency of this message of caring for the poor throughout the scriptures. Again, we see in Deuteronomy that God's people were commanded to open their hands to the poor and needy. And later on, whenever the prophets come to correct the people of Israel, they are chastising the people of God for the, and part of the reason is their failure to remember the poor and rather than helping the poor, they had oppressed them. And even after Jesus' words here, we know about the early church. And there are many examples we could give, but I just want to take a moment to remind you of what Paul tells us in the book of Galatians. In Galatians, Paul is, he is commenting on the gospel that he had been preaching in the region. And he says that the gospel that he preached was in fact also affirmed by Peter, James, and John, Jesus' three closest disciples who were in Jerusalem. And whenever they affirmed the gospel, Paul says this, they only asked that as he preached the gospel that he remember the poor as he went out. So I would say today, people of God, let us continue to do likewise, to see that Jesus himself desired that his disciples do good to the poor. But what's happening here is is that there's actually something even more important and more significant than that that's going on. 
And it's this worshipful recognition of Jesus as Messiah and Lord. So some of those presents, they might present in the room, they might actually have been concerned with the poor. And Jesus, though, he, he sets himself in contrast with the poor like this. He says, the poor are always going to be around, but he would not be with his disciples much longer. Therefore, what Mary did was fitting. And some of the disciples, they were so concerned with the needs around them that they failed to understand what was appropriate at that moment. And again, just a quick word we can learn from this because every one of us in this room has a full list of responsibilities. We have families to raise. We have jobs to work and houses to clean and kids to feed. We have family members who need our help. We have cars to fix, bills to pay. If we're in school, we have books to read and tests to prepare for. And that's just personal responsibility. That doesn't even start to get into the responsibilities of ministry that many of us are in and that we're taking part in and leading MCs and formation groups. Whenever we think about the opportunities for service and the responsibilities that we have, it can at times be and feel overwhelming. But what I want us to recognize is this, that Mary, she was aware of the greatest need that she had in that moment the need to know, to worship, and to love Jesus Christ. In doing so, in expressing this love and this affection and this worship of Jesus, she actually prepares his body for burial beforehand. We have so much to learn that we have to understand the moment. We have to understand that our greatest need every day at all times is first to know our Lord and to walk with him. Jesus says this about what this woman has done, that wherever the gospel of his death and resurrection would be proclaimed throughout the whole world, that that this act of worship would be told in memory of her. And what what a significant moment that we have Jesus looking into the future, telling his disciples that in fact the gospel would be preached throughout the whole world. And in fact, he he foresees the recording of this act in the scriptures. Who can do this but God? Jesus is the one who knows the days that are to come. And he, he, he gives us an example here. I want us to recognize that his words are literally true today. The gospel has been and is continue, continuing to be preached throughout the entire world. Every day disciples are being made and new people are knowing him as Lord. And to take a moment and thank him for his holy word, which has recorded this example of of worship that is fitting for his people. But again, in contrast to this, this act of, I would call it extravagant worship, we read about Judas, one who who did not see Jesus in the same way. We're told this: then Judas Iscariot who was one of the 12, went to the chief priest in order to betray him. And when they heard it, they were glad and promised to give him money. And he sought an opportunity to betray him. Judas, one of the earliest disciples of Jesus, he was one of his closest disciples, considered among the 12. This is the man who betrays Jesus. Now we know that 
Again, we know he was one of those who were upset about this, this wasting, he would say, of this oil being poured over Jesus. Now again, if we were to look in, in other gospels, we would know that, that it's actually told of Judas that he all along had been helping himself to the money bag that the disciples carried around. So we, we begin to get a, a greater sense of this man's character and, and what he really loved. By this time, G- Judas is fully doubting whether he wants to be around for the suffering and the death that Jesus has been telling his disciples was coming. Remember, we have repeated examples in the Gospel of Mark of Jesus telling his disciples he was going to Jerusalem to die. And just in the past two weeks, we were looking at Mark chapter 13, in which Jesus tells his disciples they would be arrested, they would be beaten as witnesses for his name's sake. So not only was Jesus going to be a martyr in Jerusalem, but his followers were going to have to suffer for the sake of his name as well. And this is emphatically not what Judas signed up for. Judas, he wanted to be a part of the movement that ushered in this new kingdom of God, that restored Israel's right place in the world, that restored Israel as God's chosen people on all of the face of the earth. But all of this, all of this suffering, this pain, he doesn't want any part of it. And Judas at this time decides it's time to cut his losses. And so the chief priests, we were already told, they've been looking for a way to arrest Jesus and to have him killed by stealth, and now they have it. And in one of the saddest acts in all of human history, one of Jesus' own disciples goes and betrays him to the chief priest in exchange for 30 pieces of silver. Now, I want us to take a moment and think about this in contrast to Mary, who loved Jesus so much that she considered him worthy of the most expensive, extravagant act of worship that she could give. But Judas is willing to sell Jesus for the equivalent of about $1,000. And now we see that the events that would lead to Jesus' crucifixion are fully in motion. People of God, I want us to learn from this. The picture of Judas that we have in the scriptures is a man who claims to follow Jesus for a time but did not count the cost of being a disciple. A man who is in love with money, so in love with money that, his, that this love of money leads him to betray God himself. His life and his actions, they're a lesson in knowing that which is truly valuable. Judas is a man who loved the wrong things. And may his life be a a warning to us today that that misplaced affections, loving the wrong things, leads to pain, to death, and what the scripture says is judgment and condemnation. But in contrast to Judas, may, may we be like Mary. Judas loved money, but Mary loved Jesus. And Mary understood that Jesus was the only one that was worthy of her love and her worship. May we be like her as we live faithful lives of worship as God's people. Pray with me. Lord, I pray that our affections would come alive at even the thought of you. That you would lead us to worship you. That that we would consider you worthy of all that we have to offer.
that we would be a people who love you, who sing of you, who can't help but tell others about you, and that we would use all of our lives, everything, for the sake of your name and your glory on this earth. Help us to know that which is truly valuable, which is you. Protect us from being in love with this world, things in this world, and destroying ourselves and others because of it. For your sake, for your name, would you protect us, your people? Lord, would you give us hearts and lives which are full of the kind of extravagant worship of which you are worthy? Amen.